Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Friday, July 16th, and this is your FT News Briefing. U.S. banks are scaling back on brick-and-mortar branches after the pandemic accelerated a trend towards online banking, and the EU's historic climate change plan already faces stiff opposition. Plus, the FT's business columnist, Polita Clark, talks about her picks for best new books on the environment. Is that a lot of them are basically trying to tell people what they can do individually. There's a lot of focus on telling people that they don't need to feel too hopeless, there are things that they can do. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. It's been a big week for bank earnings. The FT's U.S. banking correspondent Imani Moiz has been following it all and says the key story from the second quarter is all about the strength of investment banking, which rose to save the day as the trading boom faded. What you really saw was the benefit of these banks having so many diverse business lines because just as one kind of peters out, another business could rise up and kind of boost the bottom line. Imani, when we spoke earlier this week, you you mentioned you were watching out for announcements regarding bank closures. What did you hear? Definitely saw banks starting to close branches at an accelerated pace to kick off the year. I think some of that had slowed down during the pandemic as a lot of banks kind of stopped to freeze and take stock and certain strategic decisions got delayed. But now it's certainly accelerated and potentially more so than it would have been prior to the pandemic, just because so much of the foot traffic in branches has not come back. Even as the economy starts to open back up, people start going back outside. What you're seeing is a lot of customers are a lot more comfortable applying for a loan on their phone or opening up a checking account from their phone. So banks are starting to trim some branches uh, in a bet that a lot of that won't come back. And how significant were the branch closures and will it affect consumers much? Yeah, so it's not drastic. If you pull all of the cuts across the top three banks, it's about a 2% decline, um, especially compared to markets like Europe, where their retail branch footprint has been significantly sparser because they digitize way, way, way faster. I think a lot of the U.S. branch network was redundant. So maybe you don't need four different branches in a particular neighborhood, especially if you could do your day-to-day things from your phone. But if you need to go to a bank to do a larger transaction, talk about getting a mortgage, or, or some larger type of investment, you might have to travel a little ways longer. Imani Moise is the FT's U.S. banking correspondent. This week, the European Union announced a historic plan to combat climate change and decarbonize the bloc's economy. The centerpiece is an expansion of the EU's emissions trading scheme, which makes companies pay for the cost of polluting. Now, there's already been a lot of pushback. At least seven out of the 26 commissioners are upset over the potential impact on poorer states that are bigger polluters. The FT reports that the plan faces a wall of opposition from governments who fear it would hit households in poorer member states with higher energy costs. To be enacted, the climate package would need the support of a qualified majority of EU governments and the European Parliament. Now, speaking of climate, the FT's business columnist, Polita Clark, is an avid reader of books on the topic, and she's curated a beach bag-friendly list of the best new books on climate and the environment. She joins me now to talk about it. Hi, Polita. Hey, Mark. So I should say that um, a lot of our listeners may not know that you were the FT's environment correspondent for six years, long before it was a hot topic. Have you seen a big change in the kind of books that have come out in, in your time being interested in this? 
Yes, I think I have actually. I mean, for one thing, when I first started writing about climate back in the <coughs> Jurassic Age, it feels, um, <laughs> there, was, <laughs> there really weren't very many books on climate coming out. And when they did come out, they tended to be written by economists or very serious climate scientists, and they were very dense and they were well, they were great, but uh, they were not really directed quite as much as a, at a general reader. That has really changed over the last couple of years, as has the entire climate debate. Um, and I think what's been interesting about the latest crop of books this year is that a lot of them are basically trying to tell people what they can do individually, and that's probably been one of the biggest changes, I think. Yeah, because when you, when you do think about uh, climate change and environmental books, um, light, optimistic topics don't generally come to mind. What did you think about when you were coming up with this list of five? Well, you know, I I really just wanted to write about the books that made an impression on me because they were saying something that was original or they were by people who are really well known in the field. For example, I picked Under a White Sky by Elizabeth Colbert, who is uh, a writer at The New Yorker who's been writing about environment brilliantly for many, many years. In this book, she's looking at human efforts to manage nature itself. And it's fascinating because she goes through things like solar radiation management or, you know, shooting particles up into the atmosphere or the stratosphere rather to try to deflect sunlight and talks about, the, you know, the sorts of things that we kind of associate with this idea of geoengineering the planet. But interestingly, I think she goes kind of beyond that and looks at how scientists are trying to do this sort of assisted evolution of corals to try to kind of genetically engineer ones that are able to cope with warming oceans um, and acidifying oceans so that we might actually, in fact, have coral reefs left in, uh, you know, 100 years' time, which the way we're going, unfortunately, won't. Mm. So, you know, I picked a book like that just because of the author. Same really goes for a book like Bill Gates uh, wrote one of the big climate books this year, How to Avoid a Climate Disaster. Um, and Bill Gates is, he's so interesting on climate because on the one hand, obviously, he is an incredibly dedicated philanthropist. On the other hand, he's got a really mixed reputation amongst climate activists because he's inclined to um, be quite dismissive of a lot of existing green technologies and kind of suggests that they're not really up to scratch. He, this book, I think, suffers a little from those flaws. He's inclined to downplay the efficacy and the actual concrete usage of things like offshore wind farms. But where it's useful is that he basically breaks down the climate problem in really simple, easy to digest chunks and explains what needs to be done and then talks about this thing he calls the green premium or the the extra cost of zero carbon technologies versus fossil fuel alternatives. So it gives you a really good sense of how difficult it's going to be, for example, to swap conventional jet fuel for jet biofuel when the jet biofuel is more than $3 a gallon more expensive. So he goes through all of these technologies, which I think is a, you know, it's a useful thing to, to know. And, and Gates is, is always interesting. But if I understand it correctly, if you could only take one book to the beach, it actually wouldn't be one that's on your list. Why is that? And what is it? Okay, well, I could not include what is beyond doubt uh, my favorite climate book, fiction or nonfiction, possibly 
almost ever. Um, it's called Ministry for the Future. It's by Kim Stanley Robinson. Came out last year. Didn't make the cutoff point for this list. It's a really exceptional novel. He's obviously spoken to so many people who write at the forefront of trying to figure out what to do about climate change. And he's put it together into this novel, which begins with this scene that, you know, once you read it, I don't think you can ever forget it. Um, And particularly write this, well, as I'm speaking now, just after these terrible, terrible heat waves in the Pacific Northwest. He describes scenes in India where um, you get this powerful heat wave just kills enormous numbers of people. And um, unfortunately, you, you know, he brings it to life in a way that is just completely unforgettable, I think. Um, you know, I just think it's a phenomenal book and I really recommend everybody reads it. Polita Clark is our business columnist and an associate editor at the FT. You can read her list of the best new books on climate at FT.com. Thank you, Polita. Thanks so much for having me, Mark. Before we go, the parent company of English soccer club Manchester City just scored one of the biggest debt deals in the history of the sport. The FT reports that City Football Group has raised $650 million, which it plans to invest in its international network of clubs. CFG plans to use the money to fund infrastructure projects like a new stadium for its major league soccer franchise, New York City FC, which, by the way, still needs approval from local authorities. The seven-year loan was underwritten by Barclays, with HSBC and KKR Capital Markets helping arrange and distribute the debt. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back next week for the latest business news. The FT News Briefing is produced by Fiona Simon and me, Mark Filipino. Our editor is Jess Smith. Our intern is Zoe Hahn. We had help this week from Gavin Coleman, Michael Bruning, and Persis Love. Our theme song is by Metaphor Music. 